dear venerable monks and friends in Dhamma. I'm very happy to be back here today. Thank you all for coming to meditation. Um, so I know a lot of you have questions for me, so I'm just going to give a very short Dhamma talk and then we'll open it up for discussion, questions and thoughts and comments. Yata garang suchanang uti na samati vijati evang subhavitang chitang rago na samati vijati. This is a, a verse, a gata, that the Buddha chanted. It means just as rain does not penetrate a well thatched house, so does lust not penetrate the mind well cultivated. And the story behind this gata is about. The Buddha was, uh, was close to his house one day, or to his hometown, the kingdom that he left. And his father had been sending him invitations to come and visit. So since he was close by, he thought that today was a good time to come visit. So he went, he went there with uh, 50 arhats. And while he was there, he gave a, a Dhamma talk where his father became a stream winner. But... Anyways, his cousin was getting married, and they're preparing for the for the ceremony. And his cousin name his cousin's name was cousin Nanda, and so when the Buddha was visiting him, he gave him his alms bowl, and then he started to leave. And so, out of respect, cousin Nanda got up and followed him, and he didn't want to say, "Venerable sir, take your alms bowl back." Out of respect, so he just followed him, and he thought. Oh, maybe the Buddha will take it at the top of the stairs. But the Buddha kept walking. Then he thought, maybe the Buddha will take it back at the bottom of the stairs. But the Buddha kept walking. And then he thought, you know, maybe at the courtyard he'll take it back. But the Buddha kept walking. So out of respect, he didn't say, Venerable Sir, take your bull back. He just kept following the Buddha. And so one of the, one of the servants saw this happening and went and reported it to, his, to Cousin Nanda's fiancée. And his fiancée ran outside with her hair half-combed, and she said, Noble sir, please return immediately. And, uh, but, and so when she said that, his heart sank, but he kept going, because out of respect, he just had to keep following the Buddha. And so he followed him all the way back to the monastery, and the Buddha asked him, Cousin Nanda, do you want to become a monk? <laughs> So out of respect, <laughs> he of course, he said, yes, venerable sir, I would like to become a monk. <laughs> and so he ordained him. However, you know, because he didn't want to become a monk, he was unsatisfied with the monastic life. And he was telling this to the other monks. He was saying, you know, oh, I miss my fiance, I want to go back. And so the other monks reported the matter to the Buddha. And uh, so the Buddha called Cousin Nanda over, and he said, is this true? And he said, yes, I want to leave the monastic life and return to lay life, return to my fiancé. And so the Buddha, with his powers, uh, he took him up to the, I think it was the Tusita Deva realm, and on the way up they saw a, a monkey that was sitting on a burnt stump. And the monkey had no ears and, and no tail. And then, uh, so they got it, they reached up to the, 
to the Tusita Deva realm, and the Buddha showed him the king of the Devas up there. And he was being waited on and served by 500 pink-footed celestial nymphs. And so he said to Cousin Nanda, do you, do you want these pink-footed celestial nymphs, 500 pink-footed celestial nymphs? And he said, Venerable Sir, just as that monkey is inferior to my fiancé, so is my fiancé inferior to these 500 pink-footed celestial nymphs. And the Buddha said, well, if you keep practicing, I promise you that you will have these 500 pink-footed celestial nymphs. <laughs> and so Cousin Nanda said, okay, it's a deal. <laughs> so he strived on with diligence. He went to the forest and meditated in solitude. And it, he kept striving, and he eventually attained arahanthood. He became an arahant. And uh, so he went to the Buddha and said, Venerable Sir, I relieve you from your promise for the 500 pink-footed celestial limbs. And so uh, he, he then went back and he was saying, he was enlightened to the other monks and the other monks um, said, oh, this isn't true. You, he, he was full, so full of lust before. And uh, so they got upset and they reported the matter to the Buddha and said that uh, Venerable Nanda is you know, talking falsely speaking falsehood and so the Buddha said no it's true and he reported and he recited that gatha that I said in the beginning so that's the that's that story behind that gatha and one of my favorite similes for desire is uh, when you grasp the head of a snake you get bit and you feel the pain right away. That's like grasping at pain. Grasping at desire is like grasping at the tail of the snake. It just takes a little bit longer for you to get the bite. <laughs> and so why do, we, why do we suffer when we grasp at desire though? What's the reason for that? It's because desire, the pleasant things in this world, every, all the pleasant things, they're all passing away. Right? So we attach to the pleasant things and then we suffer when they pass away. When we, what we do is that when we attach to an idea, a person, a situation, a thing, when we attach to any of these things on an emotional level, then we make the assumption that our perception of that thing is going to persist into the future. And we're making a false assumption because none of these things are persisting into the future. They're all passing away. And so that's why we suffer when we grasp at desire. Desire can be compared to a fire. If you see a fire and you say, oh, I love red and orange, and you go stick your hand in the fire, you're going to feel a certain amount of pain coming to the body. So when we investigate this pain, the origin of this pain, we see that it's from sticking our hand in the fire. It's from grasping the fire. And so hopefully, when we see this, we let go. And hopefully we see that fire is not something to be attached to. Now, lots of people have a misunderstanding of this, too. This doesn't mean that we have to put out the fire, or that we have to hate the fire. We can enjoy the fire, right? It's a, fire keeps the room warm. 
we can enjoy fire, but that doesn't mean that we have to burn ourselves in it. There's a subtle difference there that is um, hard to see, but it just takes a subtle shift in perspective. So although we can enjoy the fire, we need to be careful to not create a false sense of optimism. And what I mean by that is, by false sense of optimism is by seeing just the beauty in the world and only beautiful things. Oh, the world is so beautiful. Everything is amazing. But then not realizing the unsatisfactoriness of it, that it's all passing away. So a false sense of optimism is just thinking that everything is beautiful and, you know, everything is great without it realizing that it's passing away, without being aware of that. So this is like a, a rose bush. If you go, if you see the rose bush and, you know, it's so beautiful and you want to go stick your hand in there and pick a flower, you're going to get pricked by the thorns. So the, the optimism of Buddhism is being able to see and experience the whole rose bush but having the wisdom and the knowledge that there are thorns. And so you don't go stick your hand in there. And this can, uh, we can carry this, this wisdom into meditation as well. Lots of people, they don't enjoy meditation. For example, when I uh, first went to a, a meditation retreat, people were, afterwards, people were talking about how they're getting samadhi headaches and things. And we, we should, you shouldn't get headaches from meditation. That's not right, right? <clears throat> we should be able to enjoy meditation, right? It should be making you peaceful. But people have a misunderstanding and they don't carry this wisdom into meditation. So, <clears throat> for example... When we're sitting down to meditate, you shouldn't, uh, it shouldn't be a sort of violent striving and straining. You shouldn't want, if you have a strong desire to be peaceful, then you're going to experience suffering and disappointment. Because it doesn't work that way. You're not always peaceful. If you come sit down, you don't automatically become peaceful every time. Sometimes you have bad meditations. That's just how it is. Sometimes you have to work a little harder at being peaceful. If everyone were peaceful all the time, you probably wouldn't be here. So, it should be more of a relaxed and steady effort in meditation. And if we can balance effort with wisdom and be content whether or not you have a pleasant meditation, then you can grow in equanimity wisdom, and happiness every day, every moment. Okay, so I'll open it up for discussion now. Any questions or thoughts on that? Or you could ask me questions, uh, personal questions. It doesn't matter. <laughs> yes, huh?